You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings. Uh, I'm Jim Finley. And I'm Kirsten Oates. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Welcome, everyone, to Season 4 of Turning to the Mystics, where we're turning to the 12th century mystic Guigo II. And I'm here with Jim, and we're going to dialogue about Jim's first session on Guigo's book, The Ladder of Monks. Um, So, Jim, good to be with you. Same here. Yeah, it's nice. I did just want to start off by saying how moved I was by that first session. It was just beautiful. And how touching it is that this 12th century cloistered monk could speak so clearly and deeply to to us today. It's true. My first question uh, is around the way you describe Guigo's offering, offering us distinct practical guidelines for prayer that can open up on a prayerful experience of God's presence. So I see myself as a beginner and and I like having guidelines. <laughs> That's really helpful. But what made your session very powerful was, was you role modeling how you pray using the method. And in your role modeling, you weren't concerned about the guidelines and you weren't pointing out to us, you know, I did this and then I did that. Um, you weren't kind of focused on that side of it. You were immediate with God within the rhythm of the guidelines. So when you're a a beginner, how do you balance learning the guidelines with this learning to be with God? Does that make sense, Jim? It does. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Um, This would be... And you can see this kind of... All these mystics, really, where they're... The writings are really intended to be read as spiritual direction. Mm-hmm. And so when we read them in the same uh, attitudinal stance in which they wrote them, we're reading it and listening to it as spiritual direction. And so what we're really doing at the very heart of it is the sincerity of our desire to deepen our experience of and response to God's presence in our life. We, we know by faith that God is present in our life. And, uh, and so how do I go about uh, deepening my experiential understanding of God's presence? I just don't know it in principle, but I'm actually kind of experiencing God. Mm-hmm. God's oneness with me. And so we bring that sincerity, that's the desire that makes it authentic, Merton says, with God, a little sincerity goes a long, long way. So we start out like, here I am, Lord. So then we're saying we we sit in a quiet place. We remind ourselves in faith that God's here all about me and within me, closer to me than I am to myself. And so the first step in deepening my experience of God's presence in my life is to listen to God personally speaking to me. Because my desire for God is an echo of God's desire for me. So I take a text, preeminently it would be the scriptures, the Psalms, or the Gospels, or it would be like Guigo, or a mystic text. But when you read the text, 
you read it in a sense of faith that God is personally speaking to you in the words that you're reading, which was what makes it Lexio Divina, like divine reading. So whatever you're, you, you read it in devotional sincerity, so the reading is a kind of a prayer. And what you're really listening for here is not information, but rather you're listening for how as you slowly read it, your heart immediately recognizes the words that you're reading are beautiful. So, uh, so if we hear Jesus say, fear not, I'm with you always. And if I believe in faith, just as I sit there, the deathless presence of Jesus is telling me not to be afraid because God's with me right in this moment and every moment of my life. That's, that's, that's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. That that that, uh, and, and and so that's what it is really. It's getting mm-hmm. used to that attitudinal stance of uh, being attentive in that way. Another example that I've I, that I've used elsewhere is imagine two people who are in this very intimate relationship, and she has to go off for a long time overseas or something. And uh, they, they know they'll miss each other terribly. And so they write a love letter every day to each other. So the highlight of the day is opening each other's love letter and they read it. Well, here she uh, gets unexpectedly come home, but she doesn't tell him she's coming home. And so she's sitting outside of the house in her car down the street a little bit. And she sees him come out and get the mail out of the box. And she knows her lo- love letter's there. See? And she's so excited to see him. And he doesn't know she's right across the street. And so he sits on the sofa and he opens it up and he, and he reads it. And in his love for her, uh, everything she says, like, touches him. He, he's just moved by the beauty of her words and because the beauty of her words are expressing her love for him. And then, so he's practicing Lexio, the Vena. And she says something that sets in motion an inner reverie, images in his mind of union and being, moments they were together, they're going to be together, how much they love each other. And in a way, he starts interiorly talking to her, things he's going to be writing to her in, in his next love letter, he's saying it. And he's, he's engaging in meditation. See, it's a reflective process back and forth with her. And then um, what emerges in him is the desire for union. See, all this stirs up in him, the desire to hold her, to be one with her, to look into her eyes, for them to be one with each other. And that's his prayer. Mm. And as he's doing that, she walks, uh, she quietly comes through the front door, and as he's expressing these desires, the one who wrote the letter comes walking into the room. He looks up at her saying nothing. It's contemplation. Mm. So scripture is a love letter from God. We see it as a love letter from God. And so the Lexio Divina then is the sincerity of hearing God personally speaking to us in the beauty of these words. And we, we develop that stance of sustained attentiveness and this receptive openness to love. And we're cultivating the habit let's see, of learning to be that way with God. Mm. Wow. That's a, that's a really helpful metaphor for for what you've been describing. Thank you for sharing that. It reminds me, actually, um, 
when I was uh, dating my husband, we dated long distance, and I was in Australia and he was in America. And there's very few hours where, the, where we're both awake, you know, with the time. Yeah, so yeah. we would um, write emails uh, while the other one was asleep. And so yeah. um, I'd wake up and have a brand new email from Hal, yeah. you know, waiting in my Is inbox that- and then vice versa. But, uh, and <laughs> it was a beautiful... A good- yeah. Rhythm, yeah. That is. That's it. So Guigo would say that's like a sacrament mm. of God's relationship with us. See, mm. and uh, and so we consciously cultivate, and then we can see that it, we have to develop the habit to do that mm-hmm. because we're so used to running off, you know, that's that. But there's this idea of just staying with it, just like continue reading slowly, or to go back and start all over again. But it's a sustained receptivity to letting this word come in and let it touch our heart mm-hmm. with this personal words of love that God's personally speaking to us in these words. And then we're in this state, which is the first rung of the ladder to heaven. Mm-hmm. You said, Jim, about that um, this is about, this whole practice is about deepening my experience of God's presence and learning to, to listen to God. And I wonder for beginners um, that if this is kind of a, we're entering into something new, I notice how you start with words of assurance and, and reassurance um, when you begin the practice and, yeah. and saying we know by faith that God is in us and all around us, those sorts of things. Do you think that's an important place to start before even doing the reading? I, I do. I really do. Because, and I think the reason is, you know, sometimes, um, say if we, go, we, we attend church regularly and so on, if we do, you, you hear it so often you don't really listen to it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so, and so uh, we know by faith, in the words of every word of Jesus is like this too, the Psalms, uh, but we have to sign off on it. That is, we have to remind ourselves experientially that I personally know in my heart that this is true. I may not feel it right now. Or mm-hmm. I, Lord, I might not feel your presence with me now. But I, I, I know by faith that you are right now one with me, seeking me. See? And um, I'm, I'm here like with a rendezvous between us. Mm-hmm. So that what I know in principle, I might experientially know, like as a felt sense, mm-hmm. see, by by listening to your words of love to me. Yeah, I do, I do find that one of the hardest things to remember. I, I think just because of the way my um, attention operates. But you know, sit down, start the practice. I've got twenty minutes. You know, and so um, this piece of of uh, the intention or the attention I'm bringing <laughs> yeah. to the practice, um, I need to remind myself of, of that. I, I want to make another comparison. These mystics like Guigo, John of the Cross, and Teresa Swan, they're often called nuptial mystics because mm. they see married love as the primary metaphor, mm-hmm. you know, for this. Set. So let's let's say in, in a marriage, say in a marriage. Let's say there are certain moments where the two people kind of spontaneously 
get flashes of the renewed awareness of their love for each other. Little simple gestures, words of kindness. There's just little moments throughout the day they get these little reassuring things. Mm -hmm. But they also know that she says to him, maybe, you know, you're busy, I'm busy, we're both busy. And if we just leave it to chance, like in passing on the way to something else, you know, I don't know if that's enough for us. And therefore, why don't we make a commitment to a daily time or once a week or something? Let's sit down, and there's no agenda but intimacy. There is no agenda but vulnerability. There's no agenda but caring for each other. There's no agenda but a renewed affection for each other. Because if we keep leaving it by chance, the demands of the day will keep whittling away at it. And it's interesting, when I do marriage counseling with people, Sometimes they have to go on, on, a, on a vacation to be intimate because mm -hmm. at home with the phone and everything else, like, yeah. you know, it's like, I don't know. So you have to decide. So there's these moments you've been touched by something. And so it's an inner act of the will that I'm going to, I'm going to, it's an act of freedom, really. I'm going to pause and take a hiatus from the momentum of the day, just maybe 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And with childlike sincerity, I'm going to sit, turn to God, and open my heart to God's presence in my life. So it's in the purity of my intention that when I read the words in the Scripture or whatever, I'm listening to God personally telling me that, mm -hmm. that I might take it to heart with God's His presence. What I'm also hearing in Matt, Jim, too, is it's not an intention to get anywhere or to be transformed or to grow or to it's it's an intention to be in relationship exactly it's just like the couple again um they don't they don't come up front with something they hope they're going to happen emotional fireworks and there's going to be bliss <laughs> and, and so on likewise let's say a mother or father reading their small child a good night story there's no ulterior motive Mm. They're not sitting there hoping they're going to have some profound experience. It's more than enough to sit next to their child reading the good night story. Yeah. And prayer is a lot like that. There's, mm. there's no need for something more because what's so simply given is more than enough. Wow. And I think we're trying to calibrate our heart to a fine enough scale that we can begin to tune into that, like the subtlety of it, you yeah. know, the, the delicacy of it. Yeah. I love that image of uh, reading the good night story and same story over and it's not like they're growing and, and learning it and, and yeah. <laughs> building yeah. on it. They're, they can hear yeah. the same story for months yeah. over and over. Yeah, and they, they hand it to you over and over and over. And what's yeah. interesting, in, in adult ego consciousness, you're going, oh, crap, not again. <laughs> I know it by heart. <laughs> you know? But you're not, that's not the point. That's the, the point, point is how delighted you are in the delight that the child is taking. And then you even help the child. There's a picture there. Where's the, the child points to it? Well, that's right. And, and you're kind of reveling, you know, in the innocent transparency of this child, knowing that when we pray, God's reveling in us that way. Yes. See? And uh, we're, we're reveling in God's love for us. And it has a lot more to do with the, uh, at that level. Yes. You know, the, 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 the intimate immediacy of the sincerity of, of resting and opening ourselves to that. Yeah. Yes. It's not, the, it's not the book that you're reading. It's the way you're connecting 
Exactly. In in the reading of the book, yeah. You know, when I was in the monastery, they chant the Psalter every week, 150 Psalms, you know, the Psalms. And um, seven days a week, chant the Psalms. So some of those monks there, been there for over 50 years, uh, chanting the Psalms a day. And uh, repetition is not redundancy. Because mm. someone once said, when we, when we sing a hymn, we sing a joyful hymn unto the Lord. When we chant, we deepen the capacity to listen. Mm. So in a way, chanting is a, is a kind of um, pr like pr a prayerful echoing back the words of the psalm. Like we say, beside restful waters you lead me, O Lord. And in a way, God's own words to us are on our lips. Mm. God, there's a God, and, and then when you realize you're speaking God's words, you realize you and God are united in the rhythms of those words. Mm. And uh, that's why to read the Gospels that way, or to read, you know, to say it like whispered out loud. Yeah. You know, you're actually you yourself are saying God's actual words to you, and. So this is like devotional sincerity on the first rung of this ladder. Mm. You know? Likewise, anytime I, th I think where we're losing our way, we get confused. We can always return to the first rung of the ladder. Yeah, you know, we always we always are willing to start over in the sincerity of this childlike reawakening in ourselves of what's always there. Like yes, that, I think. You know? Yes, yeah. The other relationship that's coming to mind for me is. Um, with my grandmother who uh, died about 10 years ago, but her letters and her the things she gave me, you know, there's something mm. about, about those things that still hold a connection to her presence. Exactly. And when I'm hearing you talk, talk about scripture, there's something reminding me of that. It's really true. I do the same thing with my grandmother or something you know, that she wrote to me when I was in the monastery, and I'll come across it and I'll read it out loud to myself. And it brings back her presence back. And Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between practicing the guidelines and entering into what you called graced evolving states of consciousness? <clears throat> we'll start with practicing the guidelines first. I want to use an example. Uh, let's say someone is a kind of, they realize they have a, they're, they're drawn to art, to draw or to paint. And uh, let's say it's, or it could be to be a poet, like poetry. It could be music. So let's say if, the, if they're going to pursue that, like in a, in a committed way, they have to learn the craft of art, mm. for example, perspective, primary, secondary colors, and uh, under guidance, they have to internalize the craft. But as they internalize the craft, uh, it's just the replication of something. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know if they do this anymore. When I was little, they had these cards. Uh, it was like a picture, a windmill or something, mm -hmm. and there was like colored yarn. And number one would be yellow, and you put yellow in number two, and you, you yes. get a windmill every time. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens, you learn the craft, but at a certain point, 
See, the art is where it catches fire. See, mm. The craft is in the service of uh, refined eloquence that lets art express itself. One artist I used to work with in therapy, she used to talk about the anarchy of the ineffable. See, that somehow, you, you know, you, you're kind of being led by something. Poets talk this way, too, about when they do poetry. But I, I also think the words of lovers, I also think words of deep healing. When people are in the midst of therapy, there's a spontaneous flow. And the therapist is really there listening. That's the art. But they had to learn the craft mm. of detached listening. You know, they had to pace time and interventions. But, it's in, but that craft is in the service of enhancing the efficacy of the encounter. Mm-hmm. And I think the prayer is that way, too. So there is a method, because in a way, like say it was a method, you have to sit down, you can practice it, practice it. Practice. Mm-hmm. But it gets real, and all of a sudden, the, 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 that craft takes hold as you can actually hear God saying that to you. Mm-hmm. It's telling you not to be afraid. See, like that. And then that evokes, and the second rung of the ladder is meditation. Then that evokes a kind of journaling, like a loving dialogue, where God says, you know, Alexia, no, I spoke to you. It's your turn. What do you think? Mm-hmm. And you know God's infinitely listening to every word you say, because God's really into you. God's kind of <laughs> infinitely in love with you. Like, what do you think? And uh, you tell God, you know, see, I'm, I'm afraid a lot. Of, you know what I mean? It's, it's mm-hmm. back and forth, back and forth. And um, so what you're really doing is that it's the reflective mind uh, illumined by faith as an internalized uh, experiential understanding of this exchange back and forth. So first we listen, and then when we speak, we just don't speak off somewhere else. We speak in response to what God just said to us as it's given to us to understand it. Maybe it's, maybe it's filled with all kinds of distortions. Mm-hmm. See? And so God's infinitely in love with us in the midst of our distortions. Mm-hmm. But little by little over time, you know, kind of gets clearer and clearer and clearer as years and months go by. Yeah. Uh, and also another thing about these steps to the ladder is that while although they happen in prayer, Little by little, what happens is they become habitual throughout the day. Mm-hmm. There's this an underlying, you just catch yourself in certain moments of attentiveness, like a lexio mind, or a certain moment of a little, little inner dial, quiet dialogue between you and God over something that's happening right now, like this, or in the prayer. And that's what we're really looking for here, is contemplative character transformation that starts becoming, you know, how to, be, how to become a, a contemplative person. Mm. I feel that deep down I am and I'm called to be. Mm. And so prayer is the rendezvous point, like the axis of the wheel that kind of permeates out through the day. Wow, that's beautiful. Uh, uh, what did you call it? Like a, a character, a contemplative Contemplat- character, like a conversion. Yeah, contemplative character transformation. Yeah. That what, what you're really, really calling is see, how do I become a contemplative person? Yeah. See, how do I become someone for whom uh, contemplative attentiveness has become a kind of a more and more habitual state yeah. that I bring to everything that happens to me throughout the day. Mm. And even when things are jarring, which they are, life is life, as soon as you get a little breather, you contemplatively reflect on why it was jarring. Yeah. 
And maybe it was jarring because it was jarring. You were just true to the moment. But then instead of letting it run off with you, you know, mm. you kind of ruminate over it for it and spin out. Yeah. You, you, you use contemplative to, to bring it to God, to put it into a context. Like, why did this person say this, and what's going on, and how do I set a boundary? What do I? It's like an ongoing, dis, like a prayerful discernment mm -hmm. as a prayerful contemplative person living your daily life. Yeah, and that sense of um, trust that even in those moments we're not abandoned by God. So how do I reinstate that exactly. sense of, of connection to God? Exactly. And in an interesting too, Guigo, that's how he starts out. He starts, he begins by, in this letter he's writing, he's saying, one day while I was working with my hands, it came to me mm. see, that there's like a ladder to heaven. And he's alluding here to scripture like Jacob's ladder with angels ascending and descending. And it came to me, it has four rung. So all this came to him while he was trimming the shrubs. <laughs> <laughs> and he went and wrote it down and he thought, oh, this is pretty good. And yeah. so sometimes when we're open this way, things come to us. Yeah. You know, it comes as a dream or it comes as a, an intuitive thing. It just things come to us. Yeah. Even, yeah. even ways to more deeply connect with God exactly. or others. Or, yeah. Insights. That's exactly, like that's exactly insight. right. Yeah. So, Jim, what I'm hearing is um, practicing the guidelines. You, you used the word craft and art, but learning the craft is important. And, and it's okay to spend time like, Focusing, I'm, I'm trying this out. I'm, I'm following the steps, but the, um, the, the desire is for this, these moments of breakthrough uh, that God, where God meets us, or we meet God in these. Is that what you're calling the great, graced states of consciousness? Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I want to say something. See, I think. Um, Sometimes we we learn the crafts of things on our own, you know, and sometimes we have more facility than others with certain things, trial and error. And uh, but then sometimes we learn whether it's learning how to cook or paint watercolors yes. or pray. Yeah, uh, is what we learn is um, we can learn something from somebody who's been down the road a ways. And someone who helps us out so we don't reinvent the wheel all over again. Yes. By trial and error. Someone like we go, these mystics, they've been there. Mm -hmm. And uh, we can sit in their presence and they can help us to learn the craft that releases the grace. So, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. And I, I like these um, metaphors you're giving us because if I wanted to learn art, I'm going to go to an to an artist who knows how to uh, teach art and, and has committed their life to art. Or if I want to learn poetry, I want to go to a poet. But if I want to learn prayer, Guigo was someone steeped exactly in right. prayer. Yeah. You know, for a while when my, I lived in South Bend, Indiana, near Notre Dame University, and my two daughters were, uh, I don't know, maybe like, 12 and 9 or so, I don't know, 10 or whatever they were. And there was a portrait artist there in South Bend, Indiana. She did a lot of portraits for Notre Dame, big oil portraits of uh, significant figures there. And um, she did, uh, you could, you could, um, I went to her home and paid her to do a portrait of my daughters. 
And so I took my oldest daughter first, I think she was 10, and she had a studio in the back of her house. And she set Kelly down, um, she had windows all around the back, it was all natural light. And she took a lot of pictures of her first. And she had a big easel of paper and blue pastel chalk. And she just sat and gazed at my daughter for around five minutes. Mm. Picked up the blue pastel chalk, and Kelly's face came out on the paper. Wow. Like that. And if I would have interrupted her and went, stop, 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 stop. You know, how do you do that? It's pretty amazing. <laughs> Other than me disturbed at me for interrupting her, she would say, I don't know how I do that. Mm. See? But she had to invest and commit herself to that over years, over years. You know I mean? And I, I think that's the thing. When the flow starts, uh, John Cage once said, any creative person, creativity doesn't really begin until the creative person gets to the point they no longer understand what they're doing. Mm. See? And all of a sudden, you know, I mean, there's, there's yes. the spontaneous, but it's the fruit of internalized craft. Yes. You know? And until to you move with the and so we're saying just like we can do that with marriage or living alone or mm -hmm. uh, spending a long time alone in the midst of nature or teaching uh, elementary school or something we give ourselves mm -hmm. to something mm -hmm. and uh, it gives itself to us and so we can do this with god that's the point yeah that's really helpful Turning to the mystics will continue in a moment. So in a way, it's like I start off, I'm new to Lexio, I'm, st I'm starting off not under, really understanding what I'm even doing. And, and as I learn the craft um, and, and I, I enter into these more grace states of consciousness, then I don't know what I'm doing in a, in a different kind of way. That's so right. that like the the ego not knowing what it's doing in the method, but then the the um, this the spontaneous awareness that comes. Yeah, yes, I think there's another practical thing here too for beginners. It isn't as if you listen to this, you say, you know, I'm going to do it tomorrow morning. <laughs> you know, light my little candle and take off. And um, what you discover when you sit there, the the, the busyness of your distracting mind doesn't politely step wait outside the door so you can pray. <laughs> you know, you're sitting there with grocery lists and phone calls and whatever. So you kind of have to practice uh, focusing on the Luxio with those distractions. Because mm. if you waited for the distractions to stop, you'd never do it. Yeah. So they, there's a kind of a secondary way. Sometimes if they're so strong, you might have to tend to it, like write it down or something, put it aside. Mm -hmm. But you remind yourself, all that matters, I'll get to all of that. See? But in the midst of all of that, I'm here for this. See? Lord, you've told me not to be afraid. And, I'll, and I'm going to meditate now with you, Lord. You know what I'm afraid of? Looking at how this is going so far, I'm afraid this isn't going to work for me. That's what I'm afraid <laughs> You know what I mean? I don't, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. And God says back, I mean, gee, what is it? You just started two days ago. What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you expect? You know, why don't you hang in there for a while and give us a chance? You know, but I think if you sat here every day with childlike sincerity, not keeping score, just give yourself to it, within three to four months, you mm -hmm. start to realize a shift would already started to happen. 
this this facility to kind of be quietly sustained in this lexio stance, the, the discursive dialogue, the desire. I think mm-hmm. it's slowly internalized like that. Yeah, beautiful. Well, um, this um, season is really going to help us be clearer on on how to get into that kind of a practice. So I'm grateful for that. And I was thinking about that three-month period. It, it would be kind of in the midst of Christmas we'd be coming mm-hmm. into to a little bit more of a rhythm and, and understanding of, of how it all works. Really? So. You know, by the way, another thing to consider, I mean, people have to decide what's best for them. But a very traditional thing, say, in the Christian tradition, the Catholic tradition, is the liturgical year. And so with Advent, like the coming of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, and the readings as the Lexio for mm-hmm. Advent. Because what we're doing in Advent, we're waiting for that which has already occurred. Because mm. Christ is born. But but it hasn't been fully born in our heart. See? Like preparing our heart for this arrival point. And um, so sometimes each of these seasons of the liturgical year, for some people, they find that helpful to make that part of their uh, prayer life, like the, like the uh, pattern of the prayer life. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's helpful, Jim. So this is good timing to, to learn this Lexi- Lexio practice. Um, well, Jim, I did want to go through uh, the method a little bit, um, just kind of step by step, uh, as if I'm speaking to my spiritual director, Guigo, second. Okay. Okay. <laughs> when you say it's like spiritual direction, you, what you mean, Jim, is um, like a one-on-one and making it very personal. Is that is that what that's you right. mean by that? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. See, here's I think this really happened because I, I think it was with Merton this way. See, I, it, was, it was such a privilege to sit with Thomas Merton because I saw him as one of these people. I saw him as a lineage holder, as a living mystic teacher, and um, so with Guigo too. You know, he was a living mystery. So I think what happens to these people, they say, you know, we so benefit from your ability to put words to these things, your ability for God, but you're not going to be here forever. You know? So I wonder if you'd be willing to leave us, you know, like a legacy, that after you're no longer with us on the physical plane, the wisdom of what you've learned from God, we might prayerfully read it and you'll still be helping us. Yeah. You know, you'll still help me. And that's how I see what that's what this is, is how mm-hmm. do I... And then what we're doing here, because because it's so um, intuitively dense, it's not complicated or academic, but, but it's so intuitively pure. That's what these podcasts are about. We need help to, like, tease it out. Yes. You know, because as is, it's too pure. You know, it's too... Uh, like this, but by teasing it out and dialoguing about it like we're doing and with mm-hmm. examples, then you can start to get your footing, like you can get some, find your way in and what's going on here, and, you know. Yes. Yes, you think with just 17 pages, I'd be like, <laughs> read that, got that, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. But like you say, it's, it's, uh, it's a lifelong learning. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Jim... You talked about uh, coming to the place of prayer and uh, starting off with with this sense of renewing our faith. And I just wondered about things like where we sit and, you know, you've talked about should we light a candle, 
uh, have a have some kind of sacramental um, icon or something. What are, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, let's let's say first of all, of course, we can pray anywhere, mm-hmm. of course. But there's but there's something to what you're saying right now. Mm-hmm. You know, we live live here at the ocean, and uh, there's a front porch out here. The ocean's right there. And so Maureen and I, every night, we'd sit out there and watch the sun go down. Mm-hmm. So as soon as it was time to head for the porch to watch the sun go down, the very act of walking out there together, it was already beginning. Mm. So let's say you have a place to pray in your room. You have the scriptures there, whatever, an icon, whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Knowing that that's, that's the place where the rendezvous happens. Yeah. There's something about walking there. Mm. It's already started. Wow, yeah. Because you're like, why am I even walking to sit in this chair? Mm-hmm. Like, What's the meaning of the time I'll be spending there? So there's something about uh, it, it, the familiarity of the details of the place like this. And um, that can be very helpful mm-hmm. to people. Yeah, I, I think too, something like a ritual of lighting a candle or, yeah. you know, pulling out the icon, it's, it slows us down a bit, doesn't it? It kind of gets the, the, the rhythm into a, a, a bit of a slower, more concentrated It, it really space. does. So I'm, I'm also almost always light a candle. I love the rosary a lot, just to hold, like, uh, I kind of learned that in the monastery. And uh, so I'll wrap the rosary around my hands and light the candle and open the text. And especially now what I do mainly is... I'll take a classical text like this, or writing that I'm doing, and so my meditation is um, listening to how to put words to this, like how could I say this mm-hmm. to make this more accessible to people, and very writing it out longhand, very mm-hmm. slowly, with a lot of pauses in between. And because in order to do that, I have to listen to the text, and I have to listen to God speaking to me in the text, and then I have to let my meditate meditatio be a shared meditatio. See, how could I, I'm not, how do I, so it's really whether you're journaling or whatever you're doing, there's the place, and then there are certain patterns you learn. That are the, the patterns, it's like your soul almost recognizes them and moves, moves. It's like a dog, anyone who has a dog. You get the leash and shake the leash. Dog is all excited because <laughs> they they know what's about to happen. Yeah. So that's what that's what happens to our soul. You know, you light your candle, your soul kind of gets all excited, about <laughs> <laughs> ready to take a walk with the Lord. <laughs> and, uh, so, <laughs> so there's a kind of a sincerity of the rituals. I think the you know the deepening familiarity of the configuration of things, and you kind of internalize that. Yes. Know. Yes. And. You gave us a hint uh, in your uh, session around that journaling might be a great um, a yeah. great way to to do the back and forward, especially as a beginner. To, it's really true. Yeah, yeah, to have a place to land with your with the meditation and the prayer. That's right, and the, 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 some nuancing might be like modes of journaling. One, you heard what God says to you. For example, like the text I use with the students is, fear not, not be afraid, I'm with you always. So then the first level of journaling might be, what if I would paraphrase your words to me? What, what if I would echo 
you telling me not to be afraid, how would I say what you're telling me, talking to me? Then what I want to do is uh, I want to say back what comes to me about this, I wonder about this, I wonder about that, what about that? This reminds me of this, it reminds me of that. And so, uh, and again, you have to be true to yourself. Some people, it doesn't, write, it doesn't help them to write as a distraction, then don't do it. Mm-hmm. But for some people, by writing it out, and I, I suggest longhand rather than a typewriter, but if a computer, but if a computer is your thing, then use your computer. And, um, but, but uh, by writing it out, because what, what you're doing um, with the candle and what you're doing with the word is your whole being is engaged, like your body's engaged. You know, you're, you're absorbed. You're kind of right there. And, um, and then as you're writing this out, you would naturally pause, just as you did in the Lexio. You'd be writing something and you pause. And the pause is the beginnings of the taste of contemplation. It's like wordlessly resting in the echoes of the beauty of the words. And that would give rise to the prayer, to the heart's desire, like help me with this, or sustain me in this, like that. And you just keep doing that over and over and over until it starts becoming part of you. Mm -hmm. I liked uh, that you talked about the process not being linear and that you, you, you're reflecting that in what you're saying right now is that you, you move between the the modalities just like in a relationship you can't you can't um, coerce someone to be, to go in a linear a linear right. way with you it's it's kind of uh, if it's true relationship it's it's immediate and flowing and yeah yeah we might have said in a previous session you know but um when I was studying medieval philosophy at the monastery, Jacques Maritain, the Thomistic philosopher, um, he wrote a book called The Degrees of Knowledge, Levels of Knowing. And um, he says, in the, in the order of the problematic, like problem solving, the mind moves in a horizontal line, like one plus one plus one equals like that. He said, but with mystery, it's not like that. Mm. In mystery, the mind pauses in a single place and the image he uses is descends as on a, on a spiral staircase around a hidden axis of loving presence. And so every time you swing around, you swing around at a qualitatively deeper place of the word you just said. And that's why married love again, when someone's, one says to the other, I love you, the other one doesn't say, you know, you, you say that all the time, you're so redundant, honest to God. <laughs> like to hear, I want to hear something new. Why do they keep saying it over and over? Because every time they say it, it recreates the possibility of rediscovering together the love that gives meaning to everything they do with each other. And I think that's the way these words with God are also. It's a deepening throughout our life, really, a repetition, mm-hmm. yeah. non-redundant repetition. Beautiful. So uh, we've potentially sat in our spot lit and and lit a candle. And then um, just that reminder to uh, focus on opening up to this rendezvous of God and this reassurance of God being present with us and uh, and that that kind of lays the ground for, for the practice itself. Yeah. That's right. And also another thing that I do, I learned at the monastery, is to bow. Oh, nice. And bow. Yeah. And like Shunru Suzuki, we do that with the sittings too. 
on, uh, yeah. you know, when we bow, we give ourselves up. So the least and the most we can do is give ourselves up to the grace of even desiring to do this at all, you know, through God's grace, then we bow. And then we begin. We just, oh. just start in, yeah. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, I, I, I really like that idea of bowing. Um, so then you talked about uh, reading and Scripture as a love letter from God as one, mm. one place we can turn to. Um, you, you were saying too, you often read these mystics who are reflecting on their deep reading of Scripture in what they That's write right. and, and their experience of God through their That's practices. Right. And um, you use this phrase um, to, to read uh, in a stance of attentive listening infused with love. Yes. Can you, can you explain, explain that? You, you spend a lot, Monster is surrounded by all these woods, and he spent a lot of time walking in the woods like this. So in one of his passages, he says, uh, although I have walked in those woods, how can I claim to love them? One by one, I shall forget the names of individual things. See, my imposed name on things, instead of who God names them to be and who they eternally are in God's mind and so on. You who sleep in my breast are not met with words, but with dispossession within dispossession. That is, in being so deeply accessed by your love for me, I've been dispossessed of my ability to live on my own terms without you. Mm. And I'm, I'm so being woven into you, transforming me into yourself. In silence, I've been dispossessed of my ability to do that. And then he says, but then you go on that way for a while, and you kind of get used to being dispossessed. Like you get the hang of it. <laughs> they write a book or two about it or something. <laughs> and so there's dispossession within dispossession. See? You kind of go along, and you wake up some morning, and your dog is dead. Mm. You know, or there's a huge storm, or meet somebody or a loved one, you know, something, mm -hmm. there's a turn of events and you're dispossessed again. But every time you're dispossessed, uh, it renews the awareness you're unexplainably possessed by God, sustaining you, see, like that. And so, uh, what, to me, what really helps me, I can, listening to things like this, or the mystics, is what we're waiting for are certain insights that touch us. It's, it's like a nonlinear pause in the awakening heart recognizing in the words, innuendos or reverberations of, of a desire, and then resting in that desire, and then telling God about the desire, and then go back and read the words again, and then continue on. And so you're always kind of in the rhythm where it kind of stays heartfelt like this. You kind of sit with it, sit with it, sit with it. And um, it's, it's kind of like that. You know? That's, so I, what I'm hearing, this dance of attentive listening infused with love, it's like I'm, I'm opening myself to love uh, impacting me and I'm looking for love and I'm letting it impact me and I'm and I'm offering love and it's like a 
it's it's like a dance of love with the with what that's you're right. reading and what you're that's it really to. yeah that's really it and see and I think then and that's when the scripture isn't just a book it's God's word yeah where the mystic just isn't something you're curious about mm-hmm. but you 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 you, you kind of sense that the depths from which the mystic is speaking to you is accessing those same depths in you. Mm. And it, it can come as a love, but sometimes it isn't felt as a love, it's sometimes felt as uh, you kind of stop short, you know? Like you don't know what to make of it, like you kind of, you're right in the immediacy of something, and so you just stay there without answers. Yes. And then let God know you don't know where to go next. Tell God that, like that. And then you go back and you start again. And it's like, um, it's like a long conversation with an intimate friend. It has this deepening, uh, you know, transformative sincerity that takes you down into this very place we're trying to get to, this habituated stance. And, and over time. It doesn't always over, have to be yeah, that, one conversation. It's, uh, no, it yeah, doesn't. Yeah. Not, nothing does, I mean... It um, what you're describing reminds me of even just listening to your first session and uh, preparing for today, just having to stop and <laughs> rewind, listen again, yeah. stop, rewind, because there's a certain yeah. um, way I can't understand <laughs> many things you're saying, but I know they're important, and I I kind of want want to learn more or or, or sit with them a little longer. That's it. I thought, that's why, in a way, I think it's very close to listening to music. That is, there's a certain um, fecundity or a certain richness in the words. And what you're really doing is you read, you're being moved by the richness of the language. But the richness of the language is God's voice. See? You know what I mean? It's yes. kind of, and you keep yes. going back and going back and going back. And again, people have to decide kind of what people are moved to do. And so if you're moved to take one of these mystics we've been looking at, find a commentary, like doing deep Bible study, same way. Get the commentary, and you pray for and you go back to the text, and uh, you unhurriedly, you're, in, you're not in any hurry. You know, you're, you'll be dead soon anyway. I mean, this is, this is kind of a fleeting thing going on. You're trying to get little glimmers of something. And, uh, and so you kind of sit there and you open the text or you open your notes and you learn to cherish it where you left off. And it kind of gets inside of you and you walk around with it. And yeah. That's helpful. I did have a question on, on discernment around, you know, h- helping people find um, what they should be using for their own practice. But I, I, I'm hearing in what we've already spoken about that if if there is the type of text that makes your heart take a pause and and um, disarms you in ways, you're not looking for something you really understand and you really uh, yeah. feel like you know already. It's like a... It is. This, and that's why I think idea. some people listening to these talks... Um, these talks are more than enough. Just to be out walking, put in your earphones and listen to it, and you're touched by it. You know, and you sit somewhere for a few minutes, and next week yes. you listen to another one. And uh, it's like a gentle visitation. It's like a gentle, and so to your own self be true. You know, you kind of move with what's given to you to move with. Yeah, yeah that's helpful. I certainly, the 
that session. I, I mean, I love your um, this podcast as a practice, and you can listen to the to the sessions over and over. Like you say, repetition isn't redundancy. It's, That's true. Yeah. You know, sometimes at night when I can't sleep, uh, I'll listen to Krista Tippett or different things. But what really puts me to sleep is listening to my own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it drops, drops me down to this very deep dream state. <laughs> I just, <laughs> but there's something to that, I think. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? There's something about it. We're, we're, we're used to listening to things up here. But you can tell the language is coming from somewhere down here. Yeah, and there's something somatic about it. I mean, there's something, mm -hmm. you know, like a boundary crossing. It's kind of it's hard. It's, it's disarmingly simple, is what it is. I think. Yeah, yeah. And, re and rejoicing. Right. There's, in that. A, there's something in the body that uh, when it hears this kind of truth, it, it uh, like your whole physicality can relax around it. Like, like it's, I'm exactly. going, I'm going to be okay. You know, there's like a yeah. And that's why I think we're moved like a, a, a liturgy that's well done, or mm. chanting that's well done. You just sit and being moved by it is the message. Do I mean it, it engages your whole self? Yes. That's why Bernard Larnigan says when it comes to religion, religion's a lot closer to falling in love than it is to proving something. Yeah. See, because we're trying. Um, if the, all there was in life is everything that we proved or we're going to prove if we keep trying, life gets pretty claustrophobic. Yeah. We're, we're trying to find something rich enough to live by. It's, and, and here we're and, saying it's infinite. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. I like what you were saying earlier about um, translating this practice then into life as Lexio, because I, I think for a lot of people, life does feel pretty claustrophobic. I and so a practice like this is training us to to find this kind of meaningful, more yeah. purposeful, more, more connected yeah. place. Because not only do we not live in a society anymore, like some indigenous peoples in ancient times and the rhythms of this, we almost live in a society that makes it difficult for us to do this. Yes. That's why I say you, this feeling that we're skimming over the surface of the depths of the life that we're living. Mm -hmm. And so unless we choose uh, to like pause and reclaim our right to drop into the intimacy of this depth and live by it, it won't happen. You know, you have to, we just have to, our heart, we know our heart wants us to do it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Moving on to... The meditation, so, uh, and, and Guigo's uh, encouragement is that the meditation perceives. So I liked what you said about this spontaneous movement. You said you might spontaneously move from this first rung to the second rung, which for me says I might have planned to read a page or a chapter, but I might in the first sentence suddenly have, have a response or a or a something to to meditate on is, is that right jim yeah i want to give us an example mm -hmm. let's say you're having a long intimate conversation over dinner with a friend about substantive matters about life or either one of you what you're going through and let's say as you talk you you, you listen to every word they say it's like lexio consciousness 
And then something comes to mind, like as an insight that it might help, or something reminds you of something strangely you're going through, similar, similar. And sometimes your heart tells you not to say it yet, not to impose yourself, not to interrupt them, but to let it play itself out. And so, same with prayer, I think. We do the Lexio, and we can feel something rising up within us, like something to, to tell God about, or to ask God about, or to... We know God infinitely already knows it, but somehow knowing God's listening to us helps us to hear it better. See? So sometimes we know to hold back on it a little bit, just keep listening. And then there's a certain tipping point where we quite naturally pause. It doesn't disrupt something. It almost, it's all, I, I put it, it's almost the mind um, expressing what's received in silence. Mm. And you, you start expressing this to God. You say something, you write it out, you ask, and then you pause again and then you listen for an inner response. So then there's more lexio, and you listen, like that. So there's a kind of an unforced uh, naturalness about it. Yeah, what I'm hearing in that is, is because quite often in conversation, you know, you, you feel something, you react to something or something reminds you of something and, and often people aren't great listeners, you know, and, and we, we tend to insert pretty quickly into a conversation. So part of this practice is, again, slowing down and, and listening more deeply, I guess, is, is the best phrase that's coming to mind. Yes. I think uh, therapy's really helped me with this too, in the sense of, um, but I think if we let it, any deep love relationship helps us with this, is um, we learn when we share something very deep with the friend, we're not necessarily looking for an answer. You know, we're not necessarily looking for advice. Mm-hmm. What they're what they're what they're concerned about is that you really hear not just what they're saying, but you hear them. Yeah. And this requires you put in abeyance your own things that are coming up to let them know that when they spoke, they were heard. Like Merton says, in the spiritual life, to understand means to know we're infinitely understood. Mm-hmm. And to see is to see that we're seen. And um, and so there's something like that going on here. That's yeah. also the, the God. Yeah. Staying open to deeply listening to God while knowing God's wanting us to respond, you know, desiring us to to be in the relationship authentically. And, yeah. Exactly. And the other side works also. Let's say the person opens up and risks sharing something they never shared before. And uh, you're sitting there having dinner, and the only thing you have to say, would you please pass the salt? <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know or you're, you're watching TV over their shoulder while they talk. Mm, it's dis- disconcerting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can kind of tell when someone's not, li- you can tell, you yeah. can tell when someone's not there. See? Yeah. And so just like there's the artistry of love and knowing not to impose, there's also knowing when love asks of us to, to speak. Yeah. You know? And I, I think we learn that with God, too. Mm. There's a kind of a flow back and forth, like a, a, like a, a deepening affinity with each other in our heart. Yeah. You know? 
Wow. There's a real learning curve of uh, relationship in this practice. It's, it's nice. beautiful. Jim, I noticed too when you role modeled um, going through the, the, the steps, you kind of came back around even to that, um, that initial assurance and reassurance. And so um, I noticed even when you were meditating, you, you reminded yourself, God, I know you're here. I know you're listening. I know you care. Um, and I, I thought that was beautiful in the, in the meditation. Yes, I, I love what Merton says to the novices on one of the talks. He said, our prayer begins in just knowing we belong to God. Mm. Now, there's that in us that knows it, which is the self that prays. But there's also that in us that doesn't know it yet. We, we, we give our assent to it. But the density and intensity of internalized trauma and abandonments and concerns uh, uh, closes off experiential access to that reassurance. So I might be sitting in prayer feeling very confused. And if I'm not careful, I, I, bec I give my confusion authority over an understanding of where I am here. And so if I pause to say, Lord, I realize how confused I am, but I know you're never confused. You're certainly never confused about who I am in your presence. And you're never confused in thinking that my uh, inabilities are any way whatsoever any hindrance to being infinitely in love with me. Mm -hmm. So there's something about saying that. And by the way, it's like echoing Jesus' words. Notice how many often the words of Jesus are words of this reassurance, you know, a kind of a depth of reassurance. And so I think little by little by little, we, we let ourselves learn to live in that reassurance, you know. And then the, then that part of it that gets deeper keeps circling back around and be there for the aspects of us that are still afraid. Yes. And then we know that everyone's their own unique addition of the same thing. There's a ground in them, and they have their own version of losing their way. Takes one to know one. So by listening to them, by caring about them, maybe we, in that encounter, can pass on something to help them get their footing in their own life. And I think that's where that starts to affect our relationships with other people. Mm-hmm. Yes. The next rung, rung on the ladder is prayer, and Guigo says prayer asks. And uh, so this prayer is really about desire and I guess the thread through all of this is uh, building this relational quality with God, this, this relational experience of God. And so your prayers certainly centered around that. And is, is that the encouragement that, that we're not just praying? Because um, often prayer is, is praying about a circumstance or praying. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I'm going to put words, this is one way to put words to it, say like talking to God. Uh, you know, uh, I'm really grateful for how I'm learning to let your words of loving union with me access my heart. It's kind of, it's good. You know, I'm also grateful in the meditation 
for the insights that I gain, that come to me that I write out and I listen to. But what's missing in all of this is a full experience of me, of you taking me to yourself. Is, is, I'm, a matter of fact, the more I gauge in Lexio, the meditatio, the, the, the less uh, fulfilled my longings are. For this stirs up my longings, see, for this oneness with you. And I, I, I can't be one with you without you. I'm, I'm looking for union. Insights are great. It, it'd be almost like the person reading the love letter. I mean, he's so delighted to see her. <laughs> and, as, and as appreciative as those letters are, you know, the letters without her don't quite do it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you read them over and over, oh, this is really amazing. But to tell you the truth, there ain't nothing like, yeah. you know, the one is with the beloved. And so I think yeah. the prayer has that. It, it, mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a consummation of a longing that's resolved in love. It's yes. stirred up by the listening it's stirred up even more by the dialogue, but it stirs up in the heart to consummate something like that, which is this contemplation we'll be getting to next to Next time. Yeah. 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 Well, Jim, that's probably a good place to end today. Um, there's so much to learn and uh, understand about this ladder. Um, so it's been a wonderful opportunity to dig a little deeper today. I've, I've learned a lot from our discussion and I think my big, big takeaway is reimagining um, my reading, my journaling, my, my prayer um, in this relational context, like grounded in the trust of my relationship in yes, God sir. and how yes, to sir. approach each element of this as deepening, an opportunity to deepen, connect, build that relationship. That's, that's it, that's it, really. Another image that comes to mind is sometimes we can have a long-term, very deep relationship with somebody. You're very close. And you have to be away from each other for a long time. And almost as soon as you get together, you almost pick up where you left off. Mm. That there's something in the oneness with each other that's not dependent upon the physical proximity. And, um, and that's what we're looking for, that interior... Gabriel Marcel says um, his mother died when he was young, and he talks about the deep influence he had on his life. And he, says, he said it's amazing how present a dead person can be. Mm. This. And so what we're looking for is that kind of felt continuity with the unseen, in, you know, like as a living uh, in, in vibrancy of interiority in our life. And Guigo helps give it that personal... Uh, you know, poignancy, whatever word you want to use for it. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the the and you and Guigo are helping kind of give us the the context that this is possible, the the assurance yes. that this is possible through your own deep commitment to this kind of a practice. And exactly. Uh, it's matter, yeah. Not only is it possible. It's what God had in mind in creating you in the first place. Mm. You know, God said, <laughs> "You know, why do you exist?" Guess why? It's us. <laughs> in other words, I, I, I created you to have someone to give myself to. Mm. And, uh, and someone who had the freedom to in turn give yourself to me. Uh, for, uh, 
in, 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 in this consummation of this love destiny is fulfilled. This is the reason we, this is faith, this is the reason we exist. Mm. And then it spills over into these sensitivities with everyone we know and to life. You know what I mean? It's kind of permeates everything. So this is, and we live in a society that kind of, it, it lets us down in a way big time when it comes to this. Yeah. You know? And so we're trying to find our way back home again. Yeah. Well, thank you for helping us with that, Jim. Sure. Thank you for today. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.